you turn to Psalms 46, I trust you were all, all that were here the other Sunday night were here this morning because I told the story this morning that I was going to tell tonight. And so if um, you wanted to hear about Bernie Wiley's son and his encounter with the spirit world, um, buy the tape. Because <laughs> I won't share it again. Uh, tonight we're going to be sharing something that's really quite heavy. So I think it's good it rained because then some of the people maybe that couldn't handle the heavy stuff didn't come. But I think it's important, when I was uh, doing the videos for Bill Gothard, he kept saying, Jim, you are going to talk about principalities and powers, aren't you? You are going to put that on videos, aren't you? Uh, it's so extremely important that we understand the hierarchy of the spirit world and how it works. Here we are, we're out there, we're in it, it's all around us, it's working, it has certain ranks, and they do certain things, and we need to know what do they do. How can I stand against something if I don't know what I'm standing against? But before we get into the heavy part, I would just like to share some positive things. I want you to know that I know that we're victors. And so I wanted to share some victory verses before we get into the heavy verses, which I think brings a balance. I'm not sure if I shared this with you. We've been sharing spiritual warfare in so many churches and so many towns and so many places lately. I asked my wife, where did I say that? She says, I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember either. So I guess in a mouth that one person said twice, you'll believe it if I said this before. But in Psalms 46, I was reading in my Bible one day early in the morning and I received a rhema. Now, do you remember what a rhema is? We talked about it today. A rhema is a principle from Scripture that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's rhemas. And you and I ought to be collecting rhemas. One of the programs that Bill Gothard has for high school kids is to teach them to gather rhemas and to put them in books. You know, what God gives you, that special just a special insight from the Word of God to yourself that God gives you something special. And as I read this rhema, I couldn't get off of it. I went on and read the rest of the passage here in Psalm 46. And this is mentioned so often in the Bible, but for some reason it stood out this one morning. Sometimes God gives us something special because He knows we're going to need it that day. And that's why we got it. We don't need it now. We need it at noon or we need it at 4 o'clock or... There's a telephone call or something happens and we see exactly why God gave us that, that special scripture for us. Um, the word that God gave me was this in Psalms 46, 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. I fully did not understand what it meant. I did all my study that I could on it. I'm not a Hebrew reader. And But I got out my books and looked in Hebrew. That I, I was out at the mission at the time, and I looked at the material, and it wasn't sufficient. So I called a Hebrew scholar uh, who teaches in grad school, and I called him long distance, and I said, could you tell me what this means? Somehow I know this is significant, and it's just, just doing a word study is not enough. I know you'd have to read it. So let's pull this apart. We have the word there, the host. The host literally means, in the Hebrew, the invincible armies of heaven. The armies that cannot lose. 
And so whenever the, the Bible talks about the heavenly host, what's he talking about? When they looked up and they saw the host, what did they see? They saw the armies of heaven. Now do you understand why they had to say to the shepherds, be not afraid. It wasn't little baby angels. It was the host of heaven, all the warring angels up there. And they saw these angels. And they said, our commander-in-chief is born in Bethlehem. Go take a look. And they said, we'll go, we'll go. <laughs> <You know? laughs> We've left. <laughs> it's, a, it's a frightening thing to see the armies of heaven all in array because they're innumerable. And so we have the host, the armies that cannot lose. And then we have the Lord. Literally, it means the commander-in-chief who has no equal. Now let's put this all together. The commander-in-chief, who has no equal, who rules the armies of heaven, the invincible armies of heaven that cannot lose, is with me. What a commitment. Isn't that thrilling? You know, I didn't touch ground for about three weeks. I just kept thinking that the Lord of hosts is with me. Isn't that tremendous? And we need to understand that when we get into the whole concept of warfare. Who is on my side and who we are standing against? We have to understand that or we'd be overwhelmed by the thought of the spirit world. I'd like you to turn to another one in Matthew chapter 7, 16. It's a very interesting thing. It talks about how we come under attack there. The Lord Jesus asked the disciples, who am I? And they were giving uh, some ideas there. And uh, Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, do you realize that that thought you just spoke came from God? Now, obviously, Peter didn't know because Jesus wouldn't have to tell him if he knew. And I'm sure Peter looked around and said, guys, do you realize I opened my mouth and I spoke the things of God? And he was quite impressed. But about four verses later, Jesus said, I'm going to the cross. And Peter opened his mouth and said, Lord, don't go. And Jesus said, Peter, do you realize that that thought that you just shared came from Satan? And it's important to realize that you and I must discern where our thoughts come from. The enemy can put thoughts in our minds. Peter looked at Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 6 and said, Why have you allowed Satan to put those thoughts in your mind and you acted upon them? Peter was discerning at that time. So we have to realize that one of the major points of attack for a Christian is his mind. And a man who utters everything that pops into his mind is a fool. Until you discern where the source of those thoughts are from. If I am to bring my thoughts into obedience and under the control of Christ, then I must discern where they're coming from. Are they thoughts from myself? Are they thoughts from God? Or are they thoughts from the enemy? And I need to, to do that. And, and of course, you the seen our notebooks on warfare realize we have a large section on the mind and how to bring our mind under the control of God. Now, in the midst of all of this is what we want to look at, the promise it says in, in Matthew 16, in the middle of this, he talks about the church. And isn't it interesting, the first time that Jesus mentions the church, he talks about the demonic world. 
Isn't that interesting? The first time he mentions church, he talks about demons. A third of Jesus' public ministry was dealing with the spirit world. And here he mentions the church with the enemy. Look at this in verse 18. And he said unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock... I didn't tell you what chapter, did I? 16, okay. Usually I don't... I Usually I give you one and not the other. But what'd you expect for a dollar? <laughs> okay. I'm glad it's night. We can be more relaxed. <clears throat> but he said... Um, and I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now let's take each one of these words separately, look at them together to see what he's saying. He's saying, I will build my church. The word church is ecclesia. It means the called out ones. So the Lord said, I'm calling out a people for my name, and they will be called a church. The church, the body of Christ. The second thing he talks about are gates. Gates have double significance. Gates speak of power and authority. Uh, a city is no stronger than its gates, and the gates is where the legal people sat doing legal things. Remember, Lot sat in the gate judging, Absalom sat in the gate stealing the hearts of the people. So they speak of, of power and authority. And then the... Um, the gates of hell, the word hell there is Sheol, which means the, the spirit world, both bound and free. And the word prevail means to stand against. Now let's put it all together. Jesus said, I'm calling out a people for my name and all the power and all the authority of the unseen spirit world cannot stand against them. That's what he was saying. That's a tremendous truth that we need to realize. Then turn to Matthew 28. Just the, the last little thing here on Matthew. The final words recorded in Matthew, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus came and spake in them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and in the earth. Now, isn't that strange? Why did he say that? What did he say? I exercise total power in heaven and on the earth. Why, why that? Who is the prince of the power of what? The air. And also, the Word of God says, the whole world lies, where? In the wicked one. Jesus said, fellows, I'm commissioning you to take my message. And I want you to realize, I understand, that the world I'm sending you in is held by the enemy. And the very air surrounding the world is his plane of operation. But you need to know something. I have greater power than the enemy. Therefore, go. Isn't that beautiful? Therefore, go and share the gospel. Because if he didn't, you and I would not be able to stand against the forces of darkness because they have greater power than we have, but not greater power than he has. 
Now we're working our way to the message. Turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter two. I was looking for this and I couldn't find it. And just uh, as we're going to Ephesians chapter six and Second Corinthians chapter two verse eleven. He said, lest Satan should get advantage of us, we're not ignorant of his devices. Or are we? We said there were six ways, and the scripture says specifically that uh, the enemy can attack a believer. We looked at those, one of them, this morning only. And uh, that was in 1 Peter 5.8. But the Lord wanted us to know about our adversary. He wanted us to know about the enemy so that we would not be ignorant on, on um, his devices. People say to me, you know, it's not fear. I don't think it's fear, you know, um, that I'm in a war. I'm sure that probably the children born in Vietnam probably felt the same way. It isn't fear. No one's saying about fear. It just is. We are in a battle. And when you're born into the family of God, you're born into a battle. And you're born on, in, on uh, you're, you become a member of the body of Christ. And you're hated by the enemy. And a battle is raging. And you can be ignorant, and you can put your head in the sand, or whatever, but the battle is still going on. And the Lord said, don't be ignorant. I want you to understand who you are. I want you to understand the enemy. I want you to understand the battle, so that you can walk in victory. Because through this life, you and I will be or caught right in the middle of a tremendous battle. The Zumax are in a very difficult part of the world. There are more occult healers in France than there are medical doctors. More of the people that they're taking the gospel to are going to the occult people for healing than they'll go to medical doctors. You have no idea the darkness that is in that country. It's a terrible darkness holding every single life in its grip. A very difficult place to share the gospel. But Jesus said to the Zumax, don't worry, I have greater power than the one that's holding all of these French people in their grips. Now let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And we mentioned this this morning. We want to pick, on it, pick up on it this evening. He says, put on the whole armor of God in verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Remember, did we, did we describe wrestling here? We did. Tell me I did or didn't. Did we? Yay or nay? We didn't. I better describe it. Wrestling, when we think of wrestling, we, we come to a Detroit you know, Mr. whatever it is, and they get a big gold belt, and, and one guy chases another guy around the ring, and they bounce around and um, throw them out and all this kind of stuff. But Greek wrestling was not like that at all. In Greek wrestling, you had two slaves that would meet in a, a title match. Usually you could never get them to wrestle, but in one of these matches, there was so much at stake that it was worth risking the loss. And two men would wrestle until one of them could not stand up. The winner would become free. His family would get a free education. He would not have to pay taxes. And he would get a plaque on the wall of the city that he resided there. 
And so what would happen when the, the, uh, the wrestler that won, he would stand up and he would put his foot on the neck of the loser. We talked about that this morning. And he'd call for a sword and they'd bring him a sword and he'd flick out the eyes of the loser and he would walk in darkness the rest of his life as a remembrance that he lost the match. And Paul said, we all wrestle the forces of darkness. And beloved, when we lose, we walk in darkness. And if the light that's in you is becoming darkened, how great is that darkness? Turn from darkness to the light. Don't lose. And you're grappling with the enemy. Basically, you have to wrestle alone. It's one against the forces of darkness. And what we'd like to do with the rest of our time is to explain to you how the kingdom of darkness operates. If I understand how it operates, then I will know how to stand against it. If I don't understand how it operates, I will just be a victim as I'm trying to go through life just struggling along. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. I hope you have something to write on because this could be extremely significant to you later on when you begin to identify what's coming against you and exactly what I need to do to stand against it. First of all, we'll look at three main areas. And now they're broken down, but the three main areas. The first area is the hierarchy that controls and directs Satan's schemes and plans on this earth. There is a hierarchy of demonic forces whose job it is to carry out Satan's plan and schemes for this world. We looked a couple, I think, uh, a couple weeks ago that John Chan, remember, it said Satan has a plan for your life and it told what it was. And there are spirits that are carrying out Satan's plan. These spirits fall under three categories. Thrones, rulers, and dominions. Those three, those three names of spirits seem to be the ones that are overall carrying out the whole pro satanic program. The first thing we're going to share that's not important for us, but it is true, demons rule other demons. There is a strong principle of authority in the demonic world, just as there's a principle of authority in God's spirit world, in the angelic, the, the good angel world. There, there is this, this echelon, and these spirits are in and controlled, and so on. See, these ruling spirits seek to rule the world through what we call governmental structures. Now, if you would take and draw circles on a paper, five or six circles, you will find that everything that there is is in a governmental structure. This church is a governmental structure. There are some people on top we have the pastor, and we have the head elder, and we have deacons, and there's this thing. You can put the family. In a family, you have a, the, the father, the mother, and the children. There's a structure there. 
You go into a marriage, the husband and wife, there's a structure there. We go to the school, there's a structure there. We go to the city, there's a structure there. We go to the state, there's a structure there. We go to the United States, there's a structure there. And you can put everything there is in a structure. In some of these structures, you may find yourself as the top one in that structure. You may be the, the husband or the, the head of the family. Maybe you don't have a husband. So the wife now is the head of the family. And she's the one that is over the family. But you have all these structures. You may be at work and there's a structure at work and so on. You put all these structures that the enemy is seeking to extend Satan's rule through these structures. I'm in a mission. And the enemy would seek to rule in our mission, to extend its influence in our mission through the structure of that mission. Now, let's talk about, see the Old Testament, they built walled cities, and that represented that structure. What happened when the walls were broken down? What did Nehemiah do the first time he came to set up the structure? Was to rebuild the walls and then to rebuild the structure within the walls. Because that those walls provided protection from the enemy. If you could see that. So if you are a leader of a structure, there are wicked spirits who are going to put pressure on you so that they can influence you so that they can work through that structure through you. Anybody that seeks leadership is not wise. If God puts you in leadership, then you need to take it. But when you're in leadership, you're going to come under tremendous pressure. Because if the enemy wants to destroy a family, he does it three ways. And we'll use the family as a structure. The first thing, or these governmental structures, are broken down in three ways. The first way is poor leadership. When I refuse to lead according to truth, then the enemy will begin to influence me to lead in non-truth. Right? I used to discipline my children in a wrong way. I used to punish them. I didn't realize that God never wanted parents to punish their children. God wanted me to discipline my children. Punishment looks in the past. Punishment focused on you irritate me. Discipline is for correction in the future. And so God, because I didn't understand discipline, I was wounding the spirits of my children rather than correcting their behavior. And in God, I had to ask for forgiveness, and God had to show me, and I had to learn how to properly discipline my children and not beat them, not punish them because I was irritated with them, and so on. And so God has given me truth, and I am to lead according to truth. Do you see that? And if I reject that truth, then the enemy's going to influence me so he can begin to work in that structure, lies and deceit and all this kind of stuff going on in the structure. The second thing is abdication. I just refuse to leave. I refuse to leave this home. The girl goes to the father, Dad, can I do this? I don't care what you do. Do whatever you want. I don't care. Don't bother me. And I'm watching the Cardinals. Go ahead. Do whatever you want. And then the third way is he puts pressure on those under. When I'm under leadership, and my leadership is not leading according to truth, then the enemies can put pressure on me to rebel. And what's rebellion? 
It's stepping outside of the structure. If you get a little circle, there's a family. There's a father, and he refuses to lead according to truth. And I go, my dad doesn't care what I do, or all he does is holler, and he's always angry, and he never says he's wrong, and he thinks he's always right. And so what I want to do is to get out from under that authority. And I get out from that structure, and that's called rebellion. And rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And witchcraft is voluntarily opening myself up to demonic powers. So the enemy puts pressure on leaders to lead poorly, and he puts pressure on followers to rebel. Isn't that terrible? He works both angles because he's out because he is the destroyer and he wants to destroy all structures. So what do I need to do? First of all, I need to realize that all authority is ordained of God. Romans 13.1 Romans 13.3 says that, all, that authorities are a terror to evil work. And then 1 Timothy 2 says, pray for all in authority. Do you know that when you and I attack authority, we're taking our stand with the enemy? Don't run authorities down. Run them up in prayer. Isn't it easy? This guy's not a good leader. This guy does. It's so easy to be critical. And God said, don't run down authority, but pray for all the authority that we might lead a quiet and a peaceable life. So that's one. The second one are principalities. They're the ones that were mentioned in the in the um, um, bulletin. This is an easy one. If you look at the word, it's made of two words, prince and palities. Prince is one assigned. Palady is a geographical location. Satan is deploying his forces according to a map. And their job, these principalities, are to keep those geographical locations in Satan's domain. There are 200, roughly 223 countries in the world. There are 23,000 people groupings. There are 16,000 people groupings without the gospel. 2,000 years after Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every people grouping, there are 16,000 people groupings tonight without the gospel. There are countries that we do not know of one resident Christian. But let me tell you, some of these countries, you wouldn't know what they are. If I mention their names, you would not know what they are. But I'll tell you this. Satan knows them by name, and he has sent a principality there to hold those people in darkness. How many countries do you pray for? What kind of a prayer program do you have for these 223 countries of the world and praying for that God would send the gospel to those countries and a messenger and praying for those people that are in total darkness without Christ? What do we do? We need targets of prayer and strategies of evangelism for people groupings 
And there are people groupings all around us. I share our church. I said, we have a Vietnam, Vietnamese church here, praise God. But you know, Satan has a plan for all kinds of people groupings in the St. Louis area. And many of these people groupings, we've totally, completely neglected. We don't pray for them. We don't even seek to break into these groupings to share Christ with these people. They're totally without Christ, these people groupings. The third one are powers. Powers are kinds of sin. There are as many powers as there is evil that people can do. Someone asked this, how does a defeated enemy that we know was defeated, it said that Jesus took away his weaponry, put him on public display and triumphed over them in it. How does an enemy that's defeated, how does he get so much power? When people choose to live selfishly and in sin, that's how a defeated enemy, by the choices of people, that's how he gets empowered. And when you take people, and this is significant, when you take people who commit a certain type of sin and you group them together in an area, you can sense that sin that's holding that people grouping together. We took, I took a doctor I led to Christ and a businessman to New York City to see our work there amongst the, the pre-teen prostitutes and uh, drug addicts and things, kids under 12 into prostitution, boys and girls, and into the welfare hotels that work in New York City. And as we walked up 42nd Street, the doctor turned to the guy from Vietnam, this is in the daytime, where our people go at night even to work, and he said, I'm afraid. An unbelievable spirit of fear came over him as he walked up that street. And the guy from Vietnam, this businessman, said, this is exactly the way I felt when I walked on out on guard duty in Vietnam and went on patrol. Just that heavy sickness in my stomach. You will sense this. You can, well, the first time I drew through St. Louis, there were parts of St. Louis that I just had a funny feeling about. I felt this is a creepy area. I didn't know why it was creepy. It was dark. I couldn't even tell why. In the daytime, I'd know why it was creepy. But at night, it was dark. And I knew this was a creepy area. People will... You, you've got to understand this because if we can understand this, it can totally change your prayer ministry. I was on the island of Curacao. I was speaking to team missionaries and they drove me down to one part of the island. We drove into this little town. When we drove into the town, I said, this is an evil place, isn't it? They said, how did you know it was evil? I said, I don't know. There wasn't a bar. I didn't see a bar. There may have been a bar. I didn't see a bar. I didn't see any pono shops. I didn't see any movie theaters. I didn't see anything. Just a little part of the island down by the, if you've been there, to the, where the oil refinery is. They said it is evil. They brought in Colombian prostitutes down here, this part of the island, so the sailors would not go up in the main part of the island and bother the girls on the island. It was very wicked. When I was to do a seminar for high school kids, and I flew into on the island of um, in Hawaii, not Maui, but um, I flew from Maui to where the leprosarium is. Um, oh boy, I can't think of the island right now. But when I got off the airplane, the missionary met me. I'd never been on this island before. I mean, it's Hawaii, you know. I got off the island and got uh, uh, the guy met me and he put a lathe around my neck and his wife did and went through all that kind of stuff and and I said, boy, how can you guys stand it here? 
So what do you mean? I said, I can't stand the oppression. How can you stand the oppression on this island? I said, isn't it terrible? The wife said, I have to get off this island once a month or I can't stand it here. The pressures of this place are terrible. Maui, I didn't feel that way. On the other islands, I didn't feel that way. But on this island, there was an oppressive spirit that was holding those people under its grip. Tremendous, tremendous power. These these powers. Let me uh, share an illustration here. I won't read this because uh, one, I'll read the one but not the other one. One of them is in Brazil and Uganda. They come together. Uganda and Brazil come together. Not Uganda. Uh, Uruguay and Brazil come together. And there's a city. And the street between the two, there's the, the line goes right to the middle of the street. On one side of the street is Brazil and the other side of the street, it's Uruguay. So you have the two coming right together. The missionary from MAP was passing out tracts on the Uruguayan side. People crumpled up. They threw them down. They would have nothing to do with it. He crossed the street. I have a testimony here. And as he passed out tracts, the people that crumpled them and threw them down on the one side of the street received them on the other side of the street and thanked them. Missions are doing tremendous studies in identifying principalities and powers. Let me read this. This one is a Christian Missionary Alliance pastor. The fellow's name is Williams. He is a Navajo Indian pastor working with the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. Uh, and this is what he said. At the times, William lived in a remote part of the Navajo Reservation. He became seriously ill and decided to go to the hospital. On the way to the hospital, his wife took their cross, truck and crossed the reservation boundary. Instantly, he was perfectly healthy. It was embarrassing because they called ahead of time, made an appointment with the doctor. Nevertheless, he canceled the appointment, did some shopping, and drove home. The moment they entered the reservation, the illness came back with all its intensity and he went to bed and couldn't sleep. That night he heard Indian singing in his house. His wife also heard it. The singing and the beating of a drum were coming from the kitchen wall. Three nights later, the same thing happened. As he went into the kitchen, he heard an inner voice, which he interpreted to be the Holy Spirit telling him to rebuke what was in the wall, and he did, and the noise stopped. He was instantly healed from his sickness. The next morning, he was called to the house of a medicine man urgently. The man was twisted up in the corner of the house with the same illness Williams had contracted. By 10 o'clock, the man was dead. Pastor William later discovered that the medicine man had put a curse on him. How all the details of the incident like this are to be interpreted, I'm not sure. But one thing, there seems to be a power of evil operating on one side of the reservation border and not on the other side. In a latter interview, Herman Williams said to me, there is a demon prince over each Indian village. What does this mean? What God wants me to do is to identify the powers that are holding people in bondage and to pray against them. This is so powerful, I cannot tell you. There was a missionary, a, a man, an Argentine, who went to Bible school, and the missionary said, you can have the church. 
they gave this man a church of 120 people. All 120 would come to the service if he picked them up. And he thought, there's got to be more to Christianity than me driving a van, picking up the people to go to church. And he began to understand principalities and powers. And he began to identify the principalities over an area and then the powers working in that area. And then he would pray against them. This man has revivals. I've heard his testimony. I've listened to tapes. I know people that know this man in Argentina. And he, when he goes, before they go and share the gospel, he and his wife will go into a town and they take hotel rooms. He will fast and pray that God will reveal to him the principalities and powers that are holding these people in darkness. His wife prays, she fasts and prays that her husband will know. And when he identifies them, he then begins to stand against them in prayer. This man's church today is no longer 120. It is now over 100,000 members. It's awesome. It's the second largest church in the world. I had a, a student with me from Tobago or Trinidad last year that spent the summer in internship. He said, you know, it's interesting. I could identify the three powers controlling the high schools on Trinidad. The first high school, the power there was drugs. That was the predominant sin, and that school was noted for drugs. The second school, it was sex. They had tremendous sexual difficulties. There was sex in the first school, but the, the predominant sin in that school was sex. The third school was violence. They even had a policeman. And the three high schools were on the same road. You can identify powers. What power is probably operating in San Francisco? What demonic power do you suppose is holding people in grip there? What about the Hispanic community in Los Angeles? It's a spirit of violence. The Hispanic community in New York City, I've been there many times. There's no violence. You don't feel a violent spirit. But you will sense the very spirit when you cross into that area where it's working. You will sense that these people grouped together by their sin. You can sense the Spirit. And if you're going to have a ministry, you've got to stand against that in prayer and break its grip before you can snatch people out from the hold of that Spirit. And we're seeing this happen in our mission. It's just changing what's happening in our mission as they begin to identify particular powers that are holding people in a grip and seeing people. Live. If you want to see this church go, you're going to need to be sensitive to what is holding the people and the people groups around here in its grip, and then in prayer, stand against it, and then share the gospel after you, after you do that in prayer.